Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. Alright, welcome to another edition of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's Basketball. And we come to you with this midweek edition of the podcast as we're going to preview the Red Storm's Big East opener. We are already at Big East play in just the first week of December. We're going to do that with our guy Timmy Ice, the real Timmy Ice, uh, Seton Hall fan, Big East correspondent, knows a lot about the conference, knows a lot about the Pirates. So we're going to talk about Friday's showdown with Seton Hall, the Big East opener for the second time in three years. St. John's opens Big East play against Seton Hall on Friday night. We're going to talk about that with Timmy in just a little bit. But first, I want to give my thoughts on the win over Ryder on Tuesday night for the Red Storm. 82 to 79. Uh, sometimes in these games, you know, against these low major opponents, these mid-major opponents, uh, the final score kind of looks a little bit closer maybe than the game actually was. That certainly wasn't the case here when the Red Storm squeak out an 82 to 79 win over the Ryder Bronx at home at Carnesec Arena on Tuesday night. This was a game that St. John's came out sluggish. This was a game that St. John's was losing at the half, 35-33. to 33. This is the game that St. John's fell behind by as many as 11 midway through the second half and was down by four in the closing minutes of this game and really needed another heroic effort from Vince Cole, the JUCO transfer, 26 points for him, including 12 in the final couple of minutes to really pull this game out and avoid disaster for really the second time now in six non-conference games against a MAC opponent. Uh, Cole was incredible down the stretch. They do get the win though. They are now 5-1 heading into Big East play. Maybe we'll play one other non-conference game at some point on this schedule, but for now, we are going into Big East play, and we will be playing Seton Hall on Friday night with a 5-1 non-conference record and and a relatively good mark in the non-conference. I think when we went into the season, we kind of figured it would probably be one loss in the non-conference. Obviously, we expected that loss would be Texas Tech. And in 2020 fashion, that game didn't even happen. Uh, but rel- relatively going into conference play at 5-1 and one is not the most unexpected thing in the world. And I think we're really okay with it. But talking mainly about this game against Ryder last night, I think that this was really the look-ahead of all look-ahead games. You know, the mother of all look-ahead games when you talk about St. John's. I think uh, Kevin Connolly, who's come on the show a couple times, does a great job, uh, runs that St. John's uh, website that I'm blanking on the name right now, but does a great job reporting on the Red Storm, mentioned how, you know, with Big East play coming up, you know, St. John's kind of already had their get-right game against Stony Brook. You know, you look at this season so far for the Red Storm. First two games, obviously, you're juiced up. You know, basketball's back. Then you're playing Boston College. Then you lose to BYU. The weekend then becomes kind of the, the get-right game. And we saw that they blew Stony Brook out of the water on Sunday. You know, after a couple of minutes of struggling, they blew Stony Brook out of the water. Kevin Connolly mentioned how, you know, this game now was kind of the look ahead because you're not really getting right. You just played a great game on Sunday where you crushed a team. And then you have the big game against Seton Hall, your biggest opener in three days from now. So where does this game kind of fit in? It was a look ahead game. And St. John's fell big time victim to the look ahead game. Big time. They completely look past Ryder. And, you know, we're seeing that this team simply isn't talented enough to look past anyone. You know, Ryder is going to be one of the, or at least picked to be, I think, one of the worst teams in the MAC this season. 
and we saw St. John's tried to look ahead past them and they almost got caught. They almost lost. You know, it's it's the old Herb Brooks thing. Remember when Herb Brooks in, uh, told the US, Team USA, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. I don't think St. John's, I mean, they have the talent for sure, but they're not good enough that they can just walk into the gym and beat anyone. You know, especially when they're not putting their minds to it and when they're looking ahead. And we saw that. I mean, this is college basketball. You just saw uh, Kansas State lost to a Division II school. These things happen in college basketball, and St. John's fell victim to that against Ryder. Um, The three-point defense was terrible once again. No one should be shooting 46% from three-point range against you, especially not a max school. So that was terrible. Uh, Interior defense has been bad. St. John's is not... You know, guys are penetrating that the the St. John's defense so easily and kicking out to open shooters that are overcommitting. It's it's been the same issues that we've seen all throughout last year and now through this year on the defensive end for the Red Storm. So those are the negatives. It was a big time look ahead game, but you're happy that you at least got out with the win. The positives for me are that we're seeing this team deliver in crunch time. It's not necessarily what we wanted to see in a couple of these games, but St. Peter's. Boston College, when the big lead went away, and now Ryder, we've seen three games really where they've had to ice a game out or they've had to come from behind specifically in this game and the St. Peter's game. You know, these guys are getting opportunities to play close games before Big East play starts. So I think that's a positive now because overall, I understand that the the competition is nowhere near what you're going to be seeing in the Big East for 20 games. But overall, it's been positive in crunch time for St. John's. You know, you look at the Boston College game, sure, they fell apart down the stretch there, you know, especially protecting the ball and hitting free throws. But at the end of the day, they did deliver and they did get the win. You know, Ryder and St. Peter's, you didn't want those to be one possession games in the final two minutes, but guess what? They were. And at the end of the day, St. John's delivered and got the wins. So I think that's something to build on. And that's something that I like to see is that this team is getting opportunities to close out games in the non-conference and play close games in the non-conference before these games really start to matter now in the Big East. I like that. And they've responded well. Who has responded the best? It's been Vince Cole for sure. 26 points again, as I mentioned, 12 points again in the final couple of minutes. He grabbed seven rebounds as well. Hit that three that really iced the game that put St. John's up four uh, down the stretch. He had an incredible game once again. After a couple of games where he really struggled there, you know, he puts up the 26 points. Really liked his game. I like that he's not afraid to take the big shot. I like that he's stepping up and hitting big shots for this team as well. That's only going to bode well in conference play, and you hope that that continues in conference play. And maybe he gets a little bit more consistent where, you know, we're not seeing this game come up out of nowhere, and it's more a consistent effort for Vince Cole where he's not, you know, disappearing from game to game. One guy who's been incredibly consistent for St. John's has been Julian Champagny. 18 points and 10 rebounds in this game. I mean, nothing more that you can say about him. He, he, he missed all four of his three-pointers today. That I didn't love. He's been hitting threes this season. Still 7 of 17 from the field. Again, this is the guy that you're going to build around. This is the guy that's going to put, you know, you saw the comeback effort. I, I hate to say that, but the comeback effort in this game was a lot on the back of Julian. He played a great game. One other thing that I liked a lot, Marcellus Erlington. Got 
you know, kind of back into his rhythm, hit seven of his eight shots, hit a three-pointer, had 16 points, which is a season high. We kind of saw Marcelo struggle through the first five games of the season, you know, looked more like the player maybe in his freshman season and early in his sophomore season than in the last few games of last season, which was a guy that looked like he can kind of, you know, be a real scoring threat for your team. Well, 16 points in 22 minutes tonight or last night for Erlington, that's what you like to see. And that's something that could be huge for them if Erlington can continue to be that big-time scoring option off the bench. I also like Dylan Adai-Wusu, five assists in 22 minutes. He continues to really do all those little things that I mentioned that I really, really like as well. I didn't love the rotations that Anderson was playing with. Again, I, I don't like that he he does seems to do these hockey-style substitutions where one unit will come off and another unit will come on. I think at one point when Ryder kind of made that run to make this where you kind of said, oh man, this is going to be a game now in the first half. I think on the court at that time was McGriff, Wusu, Carraher, Toro, and I can't remember who else was on the court. Maybe Moore was on the court at that point. Like you have no scoring options there. You know, not to, you know, criticize Toro or Carraher or McGriff, but they're not going to be guys who you're going to rely on to score points. So putting all those guys on the court together, it just gives the other team an opportunity to get back in the game. We saw that against BYU. We saw it against St. Peter's. We were, it seems like, you know, these hockey-style uh, uh, substitutions where one unit's coming off and one unit's coming on, it doesn't really work with this team. They don't have a, a whole lot of scoring off the bench. They have a couple of guys who you rely on, but I don't I don't love that, and I hope that that kind of goes away in, uh, in Big East play. Hopefully, Rasheem Dunn is back for Big East play. We don't know about that, but with the concussion now, he's missed two weeks. Uh, I think he's going to make a big difference for this team, especially down the stretch, closing out games. But just having that, you know, as someone on Twitter mentioned, just having that kind of alpha leader on your team. You know, not necessarily, you know, a guy who's going to score 25 points for you a game, but another scoring option, someone who can start or come off the bench, you know, can either start for you and be a reliable ball handler for the league, ball handler for you or be a guy who can provide a spark off the bench and you know a leader you know this team really doesn't have a whole lot of you know veteran leadership Julian Champagny is one of the leaders of this team and he's a sophomore so it'll be good to get Rasheem's leadership back hopefully on Friday night against Seton Hall if not hopefully next week uh, when they play Georgetown or or later in the Big East season but uh, wish Rasheem the best and hope he's doing well but at the end of the day St. John's like I said they go into Big East play five and one they go in kind of feeling really where you thought they would be you know in non, in the non-conference play and now we we see what happens in Big East play you know we see how many games they're going to get in we've already seen the first two games it goes from being UConn and Butler to being Seton Hall and Georgetown which frankly I think Seton Hall and Georgetown is a, is a little bit of a better draw maybe a better better start for this team and they've had their issues starting in Big East play you know really the last what five six seven years in the new Big East it feels like every year they're getting off to an 0-4 one five type start in Big East play. So I think that's what I would like to see different this year. You know, go, you're probably going to be an underdog against Seton Hall, but try to get a win there and then take care of business against Georgetown, a team that you should absolutely beat on Sunday, home or road, and then go into the rest of the conference play, either 2-0 or 1-1 with this start. So you kind of got a little bit of a gift from the schedule makers there, uh, not having to play uh, the tougher portion of your schedule, really, which would have been UConn and Butler to open up Big East play. But you know, nothing's going to be normal this season. We know that. So games are going to get added and changed on the fly. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see about that. But overall, it's a win for St. John's. It's not a very inspiring win. You burn the tape and you head into Big East play now. 
That's my thoughts on on the win on uh, on Tuesday night, eighty two to seventy nine. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears now and let's bring in uh, Timmy Ice, the real Timmy Ice on Twitter. As I mentioned, Seton Hall fan, uh, Big East contributor. He does a podcast as well. We're gonna plug that in a second, and we'll get to the interview uh, with Timmy Ice. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, we are now joined by Timmy Ice, Seton Hall fan and Big East podcaster. He hosts the Igloo with Timmy Ice. You can check that out on Anchor FM. Where, where is it? Apple Podcasts as well. Anywhere you, where you get your podcast, you can check that out. Tim, thank you for coming on today, man. Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure. I mean, I love the New York, New Jersey robbery. Can't wait to talk about that on this show. Absolutely. And, you know, a little, little behind the scenes here. You know, we're, we're recording this on, what, Wednesday night. Uh, we follow each other on Twitter, and this, this you know, whole thing was set up, what, about five, six hours ago. Kind of fits in with the, with the real, you know, real-life scheduling right now in college sports, right? Things getting done on the fly, so I really appreciate that, you know, the short notice type thing. Hey, no problem. You know, you know I essentially, like you said, you know, this is a reflection of what 2020 has been like, you know, stuff being scheduled on the fly. And, you know, I got, you know, like a lot of teams, you know, you got to develop a flexible schedule. So, I mean, I'm more than happy to make the time for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's let's get into a little bit of Seton Hall first. Obviously, you're you're a big Seton Hall guy. Um First thought that I have is, you know, during this season where everything's going to be crazy, you know, we're, we're in a pandemic, obviously, you know, schedules left and right, whatever. In terms of a guy who I want coaching my team, I'm not sure if there's a coach in the Big East who I would rather have, you know, leading my team and my program during these times than Kevin Willard. I just feel like he's a guy who, you know, knows how to deal with this adversity. And obviously, you know, there's a ton of great coaches in the Big East, but I feel like Willard is just so, you know, well equipped from that. Do you do you kind of feel that as well or no? I, I actually would agree with you. Uh, you know, Kevin Willard, you know, right at the beginning of this whole season, originally he was supposed to have a game against Baylor at the Rock, yeah. you know, and unfortunately that got canceled because of the positive test coming from Baylor with Scott Drew. Mm-hmm. But he made quick changes on the fly and he was on record saying, you know, I have a team, I have a plane, I'm willing to go wherever, <laughs> whenever, and I'm looking to play whoever, whenever, and, and wherever too. And we saw that because he scheduled the game in Omaha against Oregon pretty much on the fly too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ultimately didn't benefit them because they ended up losing, mm-hmm. didn't really look all too great in that game. But he still made a scheduling change on the fly originally on November 30th, they were supposed to go play in Bubbleville against St. Joe's, mm-hmm. and they ended up not playing for that because there was a lot of worry about St. Joe's having a potential positive COVID test because down at Fort Myers, Gonzaga played with a positive <laughs> COVID test outline, and mm-hmm. that was a major problem, and Seton Hall played it safe, and instead they ended up getting a home game against a guy that Willard was an assistant under at Louisville, Rick mm-hmm. Pitino, and uh, getting that game against Iona was something helpful and I think they really needed that to get them to bounce back after yeah. a really gut-wrenching loss at Louisville yeah. a game they were down by as many as 11 in the second half came back and made it a close game and they had a chance to tie it after getting a, drawing a foul on a three mm-hmm. uh, with about a second to go uh, to call Molson made the first two and then clanked the third, unfortunately. But you know, you got to commend the fight that Willard instills in his guys. And you know, unfortunately, you know, it kind of looks at times, you know, late in games where they kind of just 
put up the white flag and just yeah. kind of give up. Mm-hmm. But like, I think the big thing is he still instills confidence in his guys through this adversity. You know, after they lost to Rhode Island and Oregon, especially after the Oregon loss, Mamu didn't really look all too involved in that Oregon game. Mm-hmm. So Willard just pulled him aside and said, you know, we need more out of you. We need you to be that primary contributor and having a big night mm-hmm. like you had been the first three games. And look at what he did against Penn State. He yep. dropped 30 in an overtime win. And, you know, for them to come back from down 19 mm-hmm. against the Penn State team that, by the way, just knocked off Virginia Tech yeah. on mm-hmm. the road by 20. Uh, I think that's a, that's going to be go down as a very good win for them. I mean, and that's not going to be, you know, if we're just scaling on a scale from 1 to 10 instead of looking like, you know, it's not really all too impressive, probably around a 5. I mm-hmm. think you probably bump it up to about a 6 or even a 7, uh, depending on what Penn State does this year. I don't think they're going to pan out all too well in a very competitive Big 10. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have that feather in your cap of getting a quality road win, and they needed that win in order to get their confidence back. Um, they didn't look all too great defensively in that game, but Tuesday night against Wagner, they looked tremendous yeah. defensively, only holding the Seahawks to just 45 points. That's 21 of them in the first half. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you got to credit Kevin Willard always builds a very defense-centered team, and that was on display Tuesday night against Wagner, and now it, it's got to be a theme they established consistently now in Big East play where you're going to see offenses that have a lot more they're a lot more potent, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. have a lot more offensive weapons than a team like Wagner, and that's league wide. You're gonna see that, you know, all throughout. Even a team like Georgetown, you know, they have weapons like Javon Blair, Javon yeah, Pickett, mm-hmm. and DePaul. Of course, they got a t- great talent in Charlie Moore. Uh, obviously, that was originally supposed to be Seton Hall's schedule um, opening Big East opponent, yes. but mm-hmm. obviously that didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. But now they get St. John's in that. Uh, New York, New Jersey robber game to start off Big East play, and you know they got some weapons of their own they got to worry about. So uh, I think that defensive toughness, and that's just a theme of Kevin Willard's teams. I think you're going to see that on display, uh, you know, right out of the gate in conference play. But they got to make sure make sure they maintain it rather than having it come out in spurts. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm I, I'm curious, you know, what's like the vibe around around Hall right now? I feel like Willard's done such a good job instilling these things that you mentioned, you know, that defensive mentality, you know, for this program, really building a program. But you know, Desi Rodriguez, Kadeen Carrington, Angel Delgado, you know, now Miles Powell, more recently, like those guys aren't here anymore. So like, what's the vibe around Seton Hall? I know that you're obviously expected to take a little step back this year, but but it feels like you're in still in good hands correct with Willard running the show you know with the program that he's built up yeah absolutely and the major word being program he's built a program Mm -hmm. at Steen Hall rather than just putting together you know good team after good team and I think that really started with you know that group that he recruited back in 2014 with Angel, Desi, Kadeen and of course the centerpiece of that being Isaiah Whitehead Mm -hmm. Uh, granted you know, they struggled freshman year. And when I talked with assistant coach, uh, former assistant Raheem Holloway on the show um, around Thanksgiving, he really gave me some insight onto why that team struggled at the end of Big East play. Because this was a team that was 15 and 6 heading into the month of February, mm-hmm. 5 and 4 in conference play. They end up dropping nine of their final 10 games, yeah, not yeah. even make a postseason tournament at all. And a major reason why, according to Holloway, was the fact that these were guys that were just getting thrown into roles they weren't used to playing in. Bringing Isaiah Whitehead back after his injury that sidelined him for nine games, I believe, Mm -hmm. 
after, like he injured himself in the Georgia game, and he missed the first, the last game of non-conference play in the first eight games of conference play, and then getting him back kind of threw everyone off. Jaron Cena quitting. Also yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, um, the infamous Sterling Gibbs uh-huh. um, punch. The punch, yeah. Which, you know, it's crazy to think it's been five, going to be going on six years in February. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, since that happened, but... You know, he still overcame that because he helped develop his guys Mm -hmm. more than anything, and he brought in the right pieces. Rather than focusing on getting the best talent, he just brought in the right pieces that were going to make his team the best and establish that identity Mm -hmm. more than anything. You know, you lose a Sterling Gibbs that year, but you bring in a guy like Derek Gordon that brought in the kind of senior leadership Mm -hmm. that that team desperately needed. And... That helped propel them to the 2016 Big East title. Yeah. And then you have all these other minor pieces that he brought in. Miles Powell wasn't expected to become the Miles Powell yeah, yeah. that we all saw. Um, even like lower lower echelon pieces, like Madison Jones was the perfect point guard they needed for the 2017 season after they lost Whitehead to the draft. Mm-hmm. He was that solid senior presence that they needed in the, in the lineup to go along with those four juniors. And then, of course... You know, bringing in guys like Mamu and Miles Kale. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys don't really jump out at you from a talent standpoint, but they do their jobs. Yes. I, I think it's kind of like the New England Patriots. You know, do your job. Bill Belichick yeah. brings in all these guys that just do their job the right way, and I think Kevin Willard's kind of doing the same. I granted they they don't have the same level level of success mm-hmm. as the New England Patriots, but from a Big East perspective, you know, they're at the top of the league. That towards the top every, every year, year mm-hmm. because yep. Willard's established a culture and he just brings in the right pieces that keeps that level of success around the same every year because I'm pretty sure they've gotten the three seed in the Big East tournament now um, for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like every year with them. Um, let's talk about the team a little bit this year now. Uh, Sandrew Mamo College Valley, you know. Last year was, you know, when he started off was probably, what, the second or third option. Last year was pretty much a solid second option for this team. This year, he, he's been tasked with being, you know, the number one guy, the guy who they're going to go to, averaging 18, 18.5 points and 7.2 rebounds per game so far. As you mentioned, had that really big game against Penn State over the weekend. What have you seen from him in terms of his development? I know it's only six games, but through six games, you know, how have you seen him develop as that number one option for this offense? I think the big thing is he's become so confident in his game. I think Kevin Willard instilling that confidence in him, like, okay, you're our guy now. And I think he's really taken that head on. I think he kind of figured that would be the case Mm -hmm. when Miles Powell graduated Mm -hmm. um, because of, you know, his production uh, as the number two guy on last year's squad. And, you know, he had a lot of great games, especially at the end of last year. I think he had 26 at Marquette um, on Marcus Howard's senior day. Yeah, he, yeah. Had, mm-hmm. he had a monster game against Villanova and a loss on senior day at the Rock. Um, you know, he has a lot of good qualities to his game. You know, he's the prototypical European big man that mm-hmm. makes him such a commodity at the NBA level, you know, for teams to want him, you know, if you have a guy who's 6'11", who can run the floor, he can bring it up the court, Mm -hmm. which is important because, you know, you've seen him run a little bit of a point forward spot at times. um, And especially with the injury to Bryce Aiken, you kind of needed him to do that. Mm -hmm. He does a good job distributing the ball also. 
but he does a great job of creating shots for himself. Uh, the three pointers that he takes are mostly in rhythm. It's not like he forces them. He, you know, he takes them from a spot that he feels comfortable at and he shoots them in rhythm. It's not like he's just forcing them, you know, and I think the big thing is as a senior, you want to lead by example and it starts with smart shot selection, really. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and with the smart shots he's taking, most of them he's making and, and that's what you really want out of a senior leader uh, with this group. And I think that's kind of rubbed off on, you know, some of the other seniors on this team, especially guys like Miles Kale and Shabal Reynolds as of late. Absolutely. A thing that interests me about this roster that you kind of ran down a little bit, it, it feels like a new roster for this team because they lost Miles Powell and obviously Quincy McKnight too. But, you know, my, losing... Gill. Yeah, and Rogill, yes, exactly. Losing those three guys, but, but Powell obviously is the big one losing. It feels like a totally new roster. But then you look, you know, Shavar is a senior, Mamu is a senior, Kale is a senior, Rodin, Obiagu. Like, these are guys who have been on the team for a couple of years. What I, what I want to know is, you know, between Kale, uh, Shavar Reynolds, Jared Rodin, even Obiagu, like, who is going to be that guy who steps up as, you know, the number two option or a guy who you know you can go to for, you know, solid minutes, be a solid contributor? I, I know Rodin has had a big couple of games in, in the non-conference, but, like, who is going to be that number two guy for Hall, or, or who's going to step up, I guess I, I should say? I really believe it's going to be Jared Roden. I mean, Kevin Willard has spoken so highly of him over the years. Um, during the summer of 2019, Willard was actually saying that Jared Roden was actually the second best player on Seton Hall behind Miles Powell, but an injury kind of set him back. Mm-hmm. So it took him a while to like get into the rhythm. And we saw him play quite a few brilliant games in Big East play a year ago. And, you know, we've seen it already this year. Uh, he had 26 against Iona. And he's, he's at six foot six. He's a really good rebounder. He's long. He's versatile. He's got a improved three-point shot you know he's improved that year after year I mean most people forget if you remember when Seton Hall upset Villanova on senior day back in 2019 mm-hmm. Rodin had 15 points and knocked down all of his points from behind the arc mm-hmm. so you know he showed even in his freshman year how much potential he had and I think we're really starting to see that now as this guy is clearly the second best option on this team. And with that level of play that we've seen him at in certain spots, he has potential to be an all Big East type guy. I don't think we're going to see him make a first team. Maybe a senior year, we very well could see it. Mm -hmm. But he has the potential to be at least an honorable mention this year. But I will say this, though. I think the X factor for this team is going to be Shavar Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because, if you remember, this is a guy who was a walk-on just three years ago. Mm -hmm. And he earned his scholarship. His role has increased every year. He's a guy who knows the game in and out. He's smart with the ball. He takes smart shots. He's tremendous defensively. He's essentially a smaller version of, of Quincy McKnight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, granted, Quincy was a much better scorer because that was what Quincy was because he had that scoring mentality when he was at Sacred Heart prior to his arrival at Seton Hall. But Shavar has shown a lot of bright spots. I mean, this is a guy who shoots the three ball brilliantly. He's a tremendous free throw shooter. He knows how to get to the line, Mm -hmm. create his own shot. He's got a good mid-range game too, and he knows how to distribute the rock too. He is exactly what you want out of a floor general if you're Kevin Willard, especially with Bryce Aiken being out. And obviously, even if Bryce Aiken's back in the rotation, the next best point guard option 
is Shabar Reynolds, and he's clearly proven that he deserves this starting point guard job, even when Bryce Aiken comes back, potentially. Mm-hmm. And St. John's fans know all about Shabar Reynolds from a couple of years ago, so we, we don't need any more lessons about him. Um, <laughs> I want to ask one more question about the roster. Um, Ike Obiagu is a guy who we only played about 10 minutes a game last year, wasn't you know a huge contributor to that team. This year, you know, it feels like he's going to, you know, be tasked with stepping up as well. He, I think he had, what, eight blocks the other night against Wagner. Um, it feels like he's going to be the guy that kind of steps in and fills that void left by Romaro Gill, who was such a big factor for them, as you mentioned, last year. What's your take on Obiago? Is he ready to, to kind of fill that spot? You know, people within the scene hall community have really been expecting Maybe unfairly, but considering the jump that Romaro Gill made last year mm-hmm. and to being the most improved player and defensive player in the year in the Big East, like no one saw that coming. And now, and because of that, Roe took that starting job from Obiagu. Mm-hmm. So now that Ike is that starting center and it's clear cut, unless, you know, Willard would be more willing to go with a smaller lineup, having Mamu start at the five, which he could very well do. But Ike being that natural center, I think now over the past couple of games, you know, he's, he's been more confident. He had 10 points against Penn State. And then that Wagner game you alluded to, seven blocks but 20 points. Mm-hmm. And he actually had a really good night from the free throw line too. Um, I remember at one point, I think he was 11 for 13. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, and for a big guy like him, you know, that's kind of unheard of. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, and I, the guy I credit the most to that in terms of developing these big guys – Assistant coach Grant Billmeyer. This is a guy who just personifies energy. Like he's, <laughs> he just gets the guys fired up, even in warmups. Like you, he wants you to carry the same intensity in warmups as you would in a game. And I think that kind of attitude just rubs off on all the bigs. You know, between Ike, Mamu, even a guy like Tyree Samuel. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I really think that. Kevin Willard doesn't really get enough credit for the coaching staff that he put together. Grant Bill Meyer is a tremendous coach for the big men. Uh, Tony Skin, who is on George Mason's Final Four team, he, he does a tremendous job developing the guards. And, again, Willard just knows how to put together the right staff. I mean, these aren't guys that really you know jump off the page mm-hmm. as tremendous assistant coaches, but they just do their job and they know how to develop guys and and it shows when Seton Hall has the kind of games like they do where they have a tremendous defensive performance against Wagner, where they're able to overcome adversity being down 19 at Penn State and still win mm-hmm. in overtime. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can see them still, despite losing all that talent from a year ago, still being a top-five team in the Big East. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's get a little bit into the matchup, You know, just touch on a little bit with St. John's. Um, you know, as we said, this rivalry has been kind of one-sided over the last couple of years. And as a St. John's fan, I'm a little bit worried about this game. Uh, I feel like Seton Hall is just a really tough matchup for the Red Storm because, like you mentioned, their size that they have between Obiagu, between Mamu, you know, even a guy like Tyree Samuel, it feels like those guys are going to be really tough to guard for St. John's. 
And another thing that Seton Hall does well, we know how well they're coached. It just doesn't feel like, you know, Hall is going to turn the ball over a lot. It doesn't feel like Hall is going to let St. John's play their frenetic type pace that they want to play. It feels like Hall could, you know, turn it into a half-court game. And then on defensive end, we saw what Hall did the other night against Wagner, you know, how, how good they are defensively and how good they can pack it in defensively against, you know, a team like potentially like St. John's. So I'm not all that confident going into this matchup. Um, am I am I right in that, or, or are you going to talk me off the ledge a little bit here? Well, I think St. John's, We, I think for me, they've been like hit or miss. I know the 5-1 record looks really good, but, you know, you look at some of the close calls they had, you know, the Ryder game, you yeah. know, they were down for most of that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people... Like, have like they kind of question like does St. John's deserve to win that game because they got out play for the first you know maybe thirty plus minutes yeah game, absolutely you know? mm-hmm. um, and even St. Peter's you know they kind of stole that one absolutely. because St. Peter's might have mishandled um, an inbounding situation on um, on their own baseline and yeah. you know turning it over and then leading to the Vince Cole game winning three trust me I watched them as just about as shocked as anyone uh, to see that sequence go down <laughs> but St. John's they have a lot of great talent. I mean, I love Posh Alexander. Vince Cole has been a pleasant surprise. Greg Williams, you know, we've seen him look really good in certain games. Julian Champagne has been a revelation, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, they have the talent to be a tremendous team. And in the preseason, I had St. John's being a last four in type team. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So they have NCAA tournament potential, but, and we've seen that in certain games, but at the same time, you see them have games like they did against St. Peter's and Ryder where they don't really look the part. So in a game like this, they have to look the part because you've got quite a few opportunities you know, to win big games in conference. You know, you got Creighton at home. Um, you're going to take on a Butler team on the road that's going to be coming out of quarantine mm-hmm. that's probably going to come out with a little bit of rust, and that's kind of a must-win game if you're St. John's. Uh, considering you haven't won at Hinkle since 2014, mm-hmm. you know, um, and St. John's hasn't won at the Rocks since 2014 as well. Uh, so they got a they got some demons to over fight, uh, to overcome as well. Absolutely. Um, with that, uh, but with uh, with the matchup though, I think Seton Hall's size is going to be something that if you're Mike Anderson and the rest of that coaching staff, you got to be a little worried about, yeah. and you got to find a, a game plan to combat that somehow because. One way you could do it is try to beat them with speed, mm-hmm. but you know at the same time though you got to win the you got to make sure they don't out rebound you into oblivion mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. You, we've seen a game in the past uh, Seton Hall actually back in 2019 they lost a game to DePaul. Um, 97-93, and they get they they ended up getting out rebounded, like I think it was like forty-seven to nineteen. It was <laughs> it was an ugly rebounding margin, and in a game like this, you don't want to get out rebounded so egregiously. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're St. John's, you're gonna have to rebound by committee. You got to make sure you win the battle on the glass. I mean, it's gonna be easier said than done, yeah. but you got to make sure that Seton Hall isn't getting all these. I think big thing. If Seton Hall is getting a ton of rebounds, make sure it's not leading to second chance points mm-hmm. because Seton Hall can win a lot of games that way. And I think if you're also St. John's, with that versatility you have on the perimeter, you have a bunch of guys who can shoot the three ball. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to take advantage of that as much as possible. But at the same time, too, you don't want to be forcing a lot of three point shots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't, you know, 
go on that live or die by the three mentality. You got to be smart with your shot selection because, you know, with such a great defensive team like Seton Hall, they'll make you pay for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We, we saw St. John's kind of fall in love with the three ball in their only loss this season, actually, against BYU. It felt like they were playing too, you know, outside in, you know, falling in love with, with the perimeter shots a little too much, and that obviously led to a loss. Um, before I let you go, let's do a quick, like, uh, rundown of the Big East. I mean, you kind of mentioned it before. Where do you see this conference shaking up now that we've at least had some non-conference games to play now? We're on, you know, two days away from, from the Big East play opening up. How do you kind of handicap the conference in terms of where you see, you know, these teams finishing? Well, I, I think the top two, I think it's pretty clear, Villanova and Creighton. Mm. I really believe, I think they're going to be neck and neck all year long. I see them as equally talented across the board. I think if Creighton got more production out of Marcus Zigorowski, I would put them as a number one. But I think Villanova overall, um, I, I mean, that Virginia Tech loss kind of came back to bite them a little bit because of, you know, look at how they played against Penn State. Yeah. But mm-hmm. getting that big quality win at Texas mm-hmm. was huge for them. Um, Creighton had a chance to steal one at Kansas, but couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they haven't really played anyone of importance. Yeah. So I'm intrigued to see what Creighton's going to do in their opening slate of Big East games, you know, one of them being at St. John's. Um, and then they have home games against Marquette and Xavier, and then they go to UConn as well. And I think UConn's a solid number three team yeah. as of right now. Uh, and then the bottom two, I mean, Georgetown's the worst team at the conference. I, don't, I think that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think DePaul's number 10, and I think because we haven't seen them yet yeah, this yeah. year because they've been in quarantine this whole time. They were going to play at Iowa State on Sunday, and they had a quarantine again because they had a positive COVID case. Yep. Like, it's like, when are, the, when are we going to actually see this DePaul team play? I don't think it's... <laughs> going to be anytime soon really um but for i think butler's number nine in my opinion because they they really struggled in their only game against western michigan i think they considering the production they got from aaron thompson and jair bolden you would think they would have won by a lot more but Mm -hmm. i think this is going to be a team that's going to struggle a lot on the offensive end and i think that's what's going to keep them from succeeding at the same level as they did a year ago especially when you lose a guy like kamar baldwin leading, leading that group um but I will say this though, like four through eight, it's gonna be it's gonna be a jumble, man. Like mm-hmm. you can really just you know pick and pick and choose, you know who who can finish four, eight, five, six, seven. It can go either way. You know we've seen teams. Marquette didn't look good against Oklahoma State, but they bounced back with a win against Wisconsin. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of teams have been like hit or miss. Seton Hall didn't look good against Rhode Island nor Oregon, but you know they come out with strong performances, winning at Penn State, mm-hmm. and you know getting a dominant win over Wagner. And then Xavier's been a really pleasant surprise. They're six and zero right now. They got a big win over Cincinnati in the Crosstown Shootout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm worried though, going into the Oklahoma game that they're playing uh, tonight at the Cintas Center, you don't want to like come out with way less energy because you know. In a rivalry game, of course, you're going to be juiced up for that. Mm-hmm. But technically, Oklahoma's a better opponent. So you want to put that same energy into an opponent like Oklahoma because in reality, the, the game that's going to be more of a resume booster is going to be that Oklahoma game because Oklahoma is most likely going to be a tournament team mm-hmm. compared to a team like Cincinnati who I think, you know, losing uh, Jerron Cumberland mm-hmm. and I mean, let's be real. I don't think Cincinnati is going to have enough to recover from that. Yeah. So, but getting guys like Adam Kunkel eligible and getting CJ Wilcher and Colby Jones back from quarantine, this team has some depth. 
and I think that's going to help them in the long run. And they're they've definitely proved me proven me wrong so far. And then if I'm missing anything, I think Providence uh, with the way they've been playing. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of the, uh, their game against TCU uh, before talking to you, and yeah. you know they're looking really sharp. Mm-hmm. But again, it co- comes down to consistency with this group because. Down in Nashville at the Mountie Invitational, they look pretty bad for the most part. You know, Indiana whooped them. They yeah, barely got uh-huh. by Davidson. And then Alabama gave it to them pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hit or miss. Um, you want them to develop more of a, more consistency because we all know what they did last year in non-conference because they were horrendous. And look at what they did in conference finishing winning their last six games, you know, winning, like, I think five games in the month of February mm-hmm. against top 25 opponents. And then if I'm missing, I'm pretty sure I covered I you everybody. Got everyone, yeah. Lastly, and then lastly for St. John's, I think, uh, they have NCAA tournament potential, but, and they have the talent to make the tournament. It's just a matter of making sure they're not playing to the level of their competition because they've already done it against St. Peter's and Ryder yeah. before. And, you know, when you face a team like, a butler like they will and you just pray if you're a St. John's fan that they won't play to that to their level especially against a butler team that's gonna like I said they're gonna show some rust when they finally hit the court again mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then you get a big big opponent like Creighton who you know they held their own at the fog against Kansas yeah. and you know I think St. John's can actually match up really well with the Blue Jays, we saw that last year, you know, at Carnesecca, and then of course um, in the Big East tournament. And mm-hmm. I think you're going to hopefully, and th- then they play Georgetown right after that. And that's another game they shouldn't be playing to the level of their competition yeah. with, uh-huh. because everyone knows St. John's is several steps above Georgetown. Georgetown is by far the worst team in the conference. You cannot have a letdown game mm-hmm. against the Hoyas, and uh, like they've had letdown games against the Hoyas at home yeah. over the past several years, you know? Mm-hmm. Last year in particular without Mac McClung, and then, of course, the 2019 game where Mac McClung, who was healthy at the time, lit him up. So, and I'm really looking forward to that matchup. I, I'm pretty sure this is the first time St. John's going to be playing Georgetown at Karnasteka since the <laughs> yeah. early 80s, I would I would assume. Yeah, uh-huh. But uh, I think Saint, for a team like St. John's, you know, if they can come out, you know, 500 in their first four conference games, I think they'll be in really good shape for the rest of the slate. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where where they can find you on Twitter and uh, one more time about your podcast. Yeah, of course. So uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram for that matter at the real Timmy Ice, uh, where I share um, on my well on my Twitter mainly through tweets, and then of course my Instagram stories, um, links to my podcast, The Igloo with Timmy Ice. Uh, you can find it ma- uh, mainly on Anchor FM where I produce it, but it's available on Apple Podcasts and several other major uh, podcast sites. Uh, so make sure to check it out on any of those platforms wherever you get your podcasts. Chances are I'm available on them. I try to put out episodes every Monday and Friday, so I'll have a new episode up on Friday, uh, getting you ready for the opening slate of Big East games. Of course, we got St. John's Seton Hall, and then, of course, you got Nova Georgetown, another great old-school Big East rivalry, uh, Xavier Providence coming up on Saturday, and then UConn, uh, their first 
um, well, I don't even, I don't, I don't think UConn's going to play Georgetown <laughs> Sunday now, but I mean, still, I think three solid games to look forward yeah. to. Uh, so I'll, I'll be previewing that slate on the next episode again coming out on Friday. Absolutely. Tim, thank you so much for doing this once again on short notice. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can link up again at some point in the future and best of luck along the way with the Pirates. Oh, of course, man. I'm really looking forward to this game. You know, it's always entertaining when uh, the Red Store and the Pirates uh, link up. So, you know, if, if anything, you know, obviously as a Seton Hall alum, you obviously want your team to win. But more than anything, I just want a really good game because this is going to be the very first Big East game of the season. And, you know, I just want to be entertained more than anything. So I'm hoping the, those two teams just hit, hit hit us with the good stuff right away. And I know it's a really weird tip time. Friday afternoon at <laughs> 4:30. So I'm hoping they're awake and ready to go, and they're like, like I said, I hope they hit us with a really good game, kind of like they did. I mean, granted, not, it won't look good. It wasn't good on your end because of the end result back in 2018 when they opened up Big East play against each other at the Rock. But I'm hoping it'll be another dandy just like that with a lot of drama. Absolutely, man. That's that's all we can hope for. All right, take care of yourself, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, have a good one. All right, thank you one more time to Timmy Ice, the real Timmy Ice on Twitter. Check him out if you want some Big East basketball coverage, and you can also check out the Igloo podcast with Timmy Ice for all your Big East needs there. Uh, thank you to him for coming on on some short notice. Like I said, we literally scheduled the interview a couple of hours ago, and then he comes on and does it just like the uh, the real you know college teams this season in terms of scheduling things totally on the fly. Um, but yeah, that, that just about wraps up our show. We are looking forward to the big clash on Friday. Hopefully, you know, we still got some some time in beforehand, uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll get to this game, the big clash between St. John's and Seton Hall at the Prudential Center on Friday at 4.30. Um, won't be doing any sort of instant reaction to that podcast. We will probably have a show out sometime early next week. Uh, we'll probably do an instant reaction type periscope uh, to the Georgetown game on Sunday night. So be sure to check that out on Twitter at Troy Moriello. And yeah, that, that should wrap up our show. Looking forward to the big game. Everyone stay healthy out there. Stay safe. And as always, let's go Johnny's.